Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Before we get going, I want to take a moment to tell you about some exciting news for high school sports fans across the country. SB Live Sports has launched a free iPhone and Android app featuring the latest high school sports news, scores, videos, polls, photos, podcasts, player rankings, and much more. With the SB Live Sports app, it is now even easier to follow your favorite team. With real-time scores and news alerts, as well as video highlights, podcasts, photo galleries, rankings, game coverage, and much more, the app delivers all the content you want in one convenient place. The SB Live Sports app features exclusive content from on-the-ground reporters across the country, and it's the number one source for Washington high school sports fans. With coverage from reporters Todd Millis and Andy Bueller, me, Dan Dickow, SB Live's recruiting expert, the SB Live Sports app is available at no charge in the Apple App Store and Google Play Store. Download it today. The ISO with Dan Dickow and SB Live Sports, brought to you by the Believe Podcast Network, the number one podcast network for professionals. It was neat to see you play, and it's fun to talk to you all these years later because you played with a lot of joy and you played with passion. And I've seen Dan Dickow hit some big shots in the NCAA tournament. <laughs> Every morning when I'm working out, I'm listening to your podcast. Keep up the great work. Well, you know, I got to salute you, man. Like, I've been watching you since I was in high school, trying to mimic all your moves. I think there were a lot of kids who looked at Dan Dickow and said, Dan Dickow can play at this level, I can play at this level. Today's episode in the March Madness series for the ISO with myself, your host, Dan Dickow, and SB Live Sports and the Believe Podcast Network. Throughout the conference tournament week and NCAA tournament, we are bringing you re-releases with conversations with college coaches as well as some new conversations with analysts as the NCAA tournament goes along to share their insights and their memories, experiences to one of uh, the most iconic sporting events in in all of the world of sports. Today's re-release, somebody who started his coaching career in the Seattle area. He is now the head coach at Montana, where he's had a really nice run. He's gotten the Grizzlies to the NCAA tournament on a couple of different occasions. This year's season, a little bit inconsistent, a little up and down, but that was uh, no different than a lot of teams due to COVID pauses or postponements of games, cancellations, whether it's within your program or the programs that you're scheduling to play. They went 13-12 and 12 this year, sixth in the big sky, but I don't think their record necessarily indicates um, the growth that they had throughout the course of the year. Um, Montana did not shy away from trying to schedule as difficult of non-conference as they could. They played Arizona, they played Georgia, they played USC, and they beat University of Washington uh, in the non-conference. They finished off the season really well. Uh, In Big Sky play, they won their last two league games against Idaho State, and then they were able to squeeze in a couple non-conference games against a really good NAIA program, Warner Pacific from the Portland area. So they're on a four-game winning streak as they are set to kick off the Big Sky tournament in Boise, 
They will play Idaho on March 10th. Up next, conversation from earlier in the year with Travis DeCure. Welcome to today's episode of the ISO with your host. That's me, Dan Dickow, and SB Live Sports on the Believe Podcast Network. Conversations with experts in the world of sports. Today's somebody who has having a tremendous amount of success at his current college head coaching position. Interested to see when he may head to a bigger job, but I don't think that's necessarily his passion at this moment because he's doing a tremendous job where he is at currently. That's head coach of the Montana Grizzlies, Travis DeCure. Travis, how goes life in Missoula as it looks like we're finally getting to the point where practices are becoming normal at the college level and you're starting to prepare for games with this upcoming season? No, things are going well uh, in, in regards to that, right? Um, we want to be one of the few teams that has an opportunity to be on the floor when, when the time presents itself. And uh, I think we were a little ahead of the game in terms of getting our guys back for the summer. So uh, we're enjoying being together uh, as much as possible. And, and I think our guys are off to a good start academically. So we're in a good place, just trying to stay healthy. Well, staying healthy is, is always of the utmost importance at the college level. And this year might be a little bit more of a challenge because of the COVID pandemic and having to really make sure that you stay on top of everything. The Big Sky Conference just released their schedule a day or two ago, and it was really interesting how the scheduling for that league came about. 20 league games, if I'm not mistaken, this year. But they're taking out a lot of the travel by having back-to-backs with the same team at the same location. I thought that was a unique approach, and I think that might be something that might be beneficial in allowing the Big Sky to get all 20 league games in with no hiccups this year. What are your thoughts? No question. I, you know, and, and I wouldn't be shocked to see a couple other conferences go that route. I, we've heard on the East, the South, and the West uh, where that's on the table. Um, we looked at quite a few different things. You know, pods uh, were, were an option that might create gaps uh, to make up games that, that get postponed. And, you know, I think the biggest thing for our conference was the testing on the road, um, the potential positives on the road and, and how you handle those. So minimizing how many different locations you have to go to over one weekend was really the biggest uh, impact in terms of the decision. So, and obviously you want to cut some costs as much as possible and minimize flights. So I think this was the best case scenario um, with the parameters that were surrounded, um, that were used to surround the, the decisions. Uh, and, you know, our guys will be safe, I think, in, in this situation more so than some others. I think Montana is, is a program that nationally people don't necessarily recognize and understand just how good they've been over the last 15, 20 years. Uh, there's been some tremendous coaches actually over the last 30 years going all the way back to Judd Heathcote. But you played at Montana, so it, I can only imagine it makes things a little bit more special for you to be the head coach at Montana. When you were playing at Montana, did you want to get into coaching, or what was your, your, your thought process for what you wanted to do when you were done playing there? It hadn't crossed my mind. Uh, my father was my, was my coach growing up. Um, and then during high school, he coached my, my summer AAU teams, and, and so I experienced his relationship with a lot of my friends. And in the summers when I'd go home, he'd have me coach one or two of his events, one of his tournaments. 
with his team from time to time, but I, I never really felt the bug until I graduated in 94. Uh, Blaine Taylor presented it to me, who, who was my head coach at the time. That didn't work out, went back home and thought, you know, I'd get into some sort of business or whatnot and uh, needed some money. And Ed Pepple calls me and has me work his camp uh, in the summer, which paid well. And one thing led to another. So, you know, it was hard to say no to him um, when he had a position open for the freshman team and thought it'd be a one-year deal and never looked back since. Well, Ed Pepple is a, is a well-respected and known name in, in Washington high school basketball circles. Uh, unfortunately, he passed a month or so ago. And the, the impact that he had on people, both players and coaches in the state, was, was tremendous. You played for him in high school. What was that experience like? playing for him, but then also coaching for him. Incredible. Um, you know, when you're playing for someone like him, you don't, you don't really reap the benefits until later when you look back on life and you're more mature. So the discipline, the preparation for every moment that could present itself were things that weren't necessarily important to a 14, 15, 16 year old. But when I returned, at 23, 24, as a coach, I found myself preaching those same things that were being preached to me. And, and I think my time with him led to the success I was able to be a part of as a player at the University of Montana uh, and then springboarded my coaching career uh, moving forward. Our paths cr crossed in 1997 at the, the state tournament. One of my most deflating, disappointing uh, results for a basketball game was was when my Prairie Falcons lost to, to your Mercer Island uh, Islanders. Do you have memories of that game? And I'm sure you do because you every time we seem to cross paths at the Big Sky Tournament or wherever, you're always giving me a jab or two on that. What do you remember most from that state tournament? No question about it. And, and that jab is completely out of respect. I, I, I remember going into that game and our goal was to contain you. And we knew you were surrounded with shooters. And so if we could keep you out of the paint, those shooters would struggle. And you guys ran a lot of four flat, which, which made it very difficult, which, you know, it, it, first thing comes to mind when you, you name your podcast here, ISO, I'm thinking you ISO at the top of the key. But uh, you guys shot 70 to 75% in the first half of that game, I recall. We were down big. And we had an emotional halftime meeting. We come out, we struggle a little bit in the third quarter. And this is, this is the last day championship in the kingdom. Um, 12,000 people, if I, don't, if I remember correctly. Correct. High school correct. game. Correct. And Brian Brown caught fire. And I remember the first three he made of the four that he made in the fourth quarter, he was falling into our bench. And, and Coach P's yelling, no, because it's, 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 it's contested. It's a fadeaway. Uh, and it goes in nothing but bottom. And it kind of ignited our defense. And we were fortunate to get some stops and, he kind of took over and, and won the game for us, really. And, and, and I believe you guys ended still shooting close to 60% from the floor. And we were still looking at the stat sheet trying to figure out how we won that game. Uh, to this day, I still am too, Coach, because it's not like we stopped scoring. We were scoring twos, but you guys were scoring threes. Right. I guess that was just a foreshadowing of, of how the game of basketball was going to be played, you know, 10, 15 years later. Right. Matt Logie – is a, is, has become a friend of mine. He's a head coach at Point Loma, a Division II school down in San Diego that has a, a tremendous upside 
uh, and he's going to do great things there. I told him you were going to be a guest on my podcast, and so I asked him any questions you wanted. he wanted me to ask. Who's the best shooter in Mercer Island history? Matt Logie. <laughs> um, you know, he's, he's Pepple's grandson. So, you know, I show up in 85 as a freshman. He's our ball boy. So he lived in the gym. He's shooting more shots than anyone on the team every day. And I remember, you know, preparing for games, and he'd be out there rebounding for us, and he'd sneak in a couple shots. I returned as an assistant coach, and we won state. I believe it was his sophomore year. Uh, we win the championship, and we played O'Day in the semis. And Logie might have made 12 to 15 consecutive free throws to win that game. Um, and I believe to this day, he's still Lehigh's all-time leading three-point shooter and percentage-wise as well. So he's got a lot of stats to say to, to you know, behind that rep, but I'm sure he just wanted to hear someone say it. <laughs> I think you're right. And, and you knowing him probably even better than I do, uh, I'm sure that's bringing a smile to his face. Want to give a brief moment to talk about our newest sponsor, eBay. Whether rare, dead stock, or the latest release, find the exact shoe you're looking for. As the original sneaker marketplace, eBay is the place to go to cop the pair you've been eyeing. With eBay's authenticity guarantee, your sneakers are meticulously inspected by independent professional authenticators. A team of experienced Sneaker authenticators verify the box, logo, stitching, and dozens of other inspection points. Each sneaker also receives an authenticity guarantee tag that includes a digital stamp of authenticity. And it also protects sellers with a verified return process. And for sneaker sellers out there, eBay has eliminated selling fees on sneakers over $100, making it free to sell or flip your collection. Go to ebay.com slash sneakers today. eBay, the world's best destination for discovering great value and unique selection. So you get the coaching bug and the passion for it by spending time around Ed Peppel and that Mercer Island program. You then move on to the junior college ranks before your coach from Montana, Blaine Taylor, gets you to go back to the to old dominion on the east coast at any point in a coach's career when you're an assistant you've got to start thinking man i love this i love the game prep i love the the, the scouting report prep the practices at what point did you really think that i want to be a head coach at the division one level and then at what point did you think you were going to get a true opportunity you know my my transition was a lot different than most people i i think a lot of guys would go to Old Dominion just to be at the Division One level. I, I was enjoying my time at, at Green River. I had really good teams. We won a lot of games. I was a head coach. It was the first time in my coaching career I could choose my roster. And there were some things in, 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 in the works to kind of make the situation better. And so the, the, that opportunity actually came about the year before and I didn't take it. I had Trey Simmons and, and a few other guys that were really good at Green River and thought, I can't really walk away from this team. And then when it presented itself the second time, it was hard to say no. But in my mind, 
this is a transition to becoming a Division I head basketball coach. And that was kind of what the coaching tree had done. So I knew the guys before him had helped him, you know, situate himself to become a head coach. And I knew he would do the same for me. That was in the conversation. So it was only three years after I had been there that the Eastern Washington job had, had, had presented itself. And so that process and that dialogue of getting involved with games, preparing yourself for or getting involved with jobs, preparing yourself for interviews started really after my second season as an assistant. And, and obviously it takes a long time for the right opportunity to present itself. Uh, but, but it was pretty early for me. After Old Dominion, you go to Cal and you, so now you go from, to be honest, kind of a mid-major level program back to the West Coast where probably more of your network is in your comfort level, I would imagine, lies in a big conference at, you're at Cal. What was that like? And then how did that prepare you for when that first opportunity at your alma mater, Montana, came about? You know, I think they all kind of played a role in that preparation, right? And, and so at Old Dominion, Blaine was growing the program to operate like a high major. His time at Stanford, when he got to Old Dominion, he kind of visualized, we're going to operate the way we did as a Pac-12 school. And by the time I got to my fifth year there, his seventh, we were doing that. We were playing home and homes against, um, you know, top 10 programs in the country. Uh, we were buying home games. We were traveling like high majors. We were operating that way, which led to the success that, that we had in that conference. When I got to Cal, Montgomery was doing the same thing with Cal. He, 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 he created a situation where we would operate like a blue blood because that's what he had turned Stanford into. And so for me, coming back here as a head coach, I felt the one thing I know that these guys taught me was look big picture, don't settle on where you're at, make it more than what it is when you get there. And so I was able to, you know, take some things from each of those places and bring it to Montana and grow the program in some ways that you might not necessarily notice in games or in practices on the court because it's the, it's the complete program. But Blaine and, and Mike Montgomery are specialists at uh, developing a program, developing the person, um, and, and being prepared for all situations. And I, I just think working with those two guys after working for Ed Peppel for three years uh, was really the perfect storm for me in terms of just preparation over the years and the guys, the mentors I had. It's got to be special to be the head coach at your alma mater. And I can only imagine if and when an opportunity comes, you're going to be pretty selective uh, to move up this so-called ranks uh, to another opportunity. But when you look at the, the Montana basketball coaching tree and it's pretty darn impressive. You look at the Judd Heathcote, who was there before, obviously. He had tremendous success at Michigan State. But Mike Montgomery, Blaine Taylor, who you had mentioned. But then you, you've got Stu Morrill, who was at Utah State for a number of years, that doesn't get the amount of credit that I'd probably think he should. Larry Kristoviak, Wayne Tinkle, all really good coaches. How much pride do you have that you were selected to keep that pride and tradition going? A ton. Um... You know, and, and I, I had an assistant coach I worked with at Old Dominion. He, he'd always tell me, don't worry about all these other jobs. Your first job's going to be at Montana. And 
you know, you're in denial a little bit. No, nah, there's, you know, there's all these things. And, you know, at, at the time Wayne was here and was having success and I'm telling you, I'm telling you, it's going to be Montana. And, you know, I always tell the stories in recruiting or in, in normal conversation about the group I followed because I got a phone call the day after I was accepted the job from Mike Montgomery saying, don't screw it up. <laughs> right. And the reality is, it's almost impossible to not look at it as you screwed it up because of the shoes you have to fill. You know, Judd Heathcote, Mike Montgomery, Hall of Fame, right? Um, Judd Heathcote has a national championship. Mike Montgomery's been to Final Fours. Stu Morrow has the highest win percentage. If you look at all the places all these guys have been, of all of them. And, and you know, he had a 25-win team that went undefeated in non-conference in the WAC one year and didn't get an at-large bid. Um, Blaine Taylor's got the highest win percentage at both Montana and Old Dominion, and at some point in time became the all-time winningest coach at each spot, which he still is that at Old Dominion. You look at Larry Kostoviat, he and Judd are the only two to win a tournament game from Montana. Um, and then Wayne comes in and he breaks everyone's records. He's got the most wins. Um, you know, he had been to the NC2A tournament more than everyone else. And so I get here and I, I don't know what I can do that hadn't been done. Um, and so that's when I kind of looked at some of the things off the court and, 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 and tried to do some things a little differently. But I, I think what's been special about it is this is a place where winning is a tradition. You can do it your way as long as you don't lose sight of what this is. And you kind of have to be a grist to understand what I'm saying. So it's a special opportunity, and, and, and I'm fortunate to be here. And that's why it was so hard for me to say no when it was offered. And it's been hard to leave. Well, I can sense and hear in your voice the tremendous amount of respect that you have for the coaches that came before and the love for, that you have for, for Montana and the basketball program. And in doing that, obviously, you're then going to put forth 100% effort. I've seen you coach. You coach with a passion, a dedication to your players. But you have to find players that fit your vision for the program. And, and not too many people realize how difficult that is in the big sky. And the reason being, in my opinion, is so many people grow up on the West Coast thinking Pac-12, Pac-12, Pac-12. And there's nothing wrong with that. But you have to kind of sift through players' kind of thought process and figure out who's going to fit your vision, but understand that maybe – they're going to have a much better individual career at a Montana where they're a big part of chances at winning uh, conference titles, getting to the NCAA tournament and being a bigger piece of that, as opposed to maybe just trying to get a few minutes here or there. What's your message in recruiting when you see that as being the case, probably quite a bit. Do you want your cake and eat it too? You, you know, and, and that's a, a, a true reality. So many coaches make promises they can't keep. Playing time, um, shots taken, points scored, style of play, things that really don't matter that much early as, as much as these kids want to hear it. And they want to get on the floor early. And, and I think for those guys that are those tweeners that potentially could play in the Pac-12 um, for the middle of the pack down potentially play in the Mountain West, but maybe not necessarily for those teams that are competing for championships. 
and they might need to wait a year or two to actually get into rotation. You come here, you got a better shot of getting into rotation in a winning situation. Um, you know, we, we've got, I think, I believe it's six championships in 10 years as a program uh, between Wayne and myself. And when kids, first thing they tell you, they want to play an NCAA tournament. Okay, well, let's look at the list of schools from the West Coast that play an NCAA tournament, right? And you've got the short list of teams that go pretty much every year. Okay, but you have offers from them. No, okay, let's take them out. Now let's look at your list. And of the teams that you're being recruited by, who goes to the tournament the most? And let's look over a period of time. Are we telling you if you come, we'll win a championship and we'll go to the institute tournament or are we asking you to come be a part of it? And normally when they say we're asking them to come be a part of it, they don't have a long list of those types of schools on their list that also have an opportunity to compete playing time right away. So I, I think it's a perfect combination for a lot of those kids that have a chip on their shoulder because the blue, the blue bloods on the West Coast didn't offer them a scholarship. And nothing, nothing more fun than coaching an angry young man. <laughs> and I've seen your team play on the defensive end. Angry is a great way to describe it, but with a controlled anger tied in with, with the, the philosophy or the game plan that you guys have set forth. I also want to pose the question, and I've done this to a number of other coaches I've talked to uh, for this podcast. Season ended last year very unexpectedly. I was actually set to travel to Boise to cover the Big Sky uh, title game for Westwood One Radio. You guys, along with Eastern Washington, were probably the two favorites to play in the title game and have a chance to go to the NCAA tournament. With the unexpected end of the season and not knowing when you were going to be back with your team, how did you improve as a coach between that time and now that you can get back on the floor with your players? Um, you know, you improve a lot of ways, right? You, you educate yourself, books, videos, conversations with other coaches, um, but nothing better than experience, actually doing things. And, and I, I think I improved the most off the court. Um, handling adversity off the court, managing change in a short period of time. You know, like I say, I learned from the guys before me about being prepared for every moment that could present itself within a game and within your program. But we got hit with some things we couldn't prepare for. And so to dig yourself out of those types of holes um, was a learning experience for me. Um, and, and, and so I, w I got a chance to maybe strengthen myself in that regard. Um, and then X and O wise, basketball wise, a lot of conversations um, with a lot of coaches, a lot of Zooms you know, just talking program, recruiting, development. And I watch a ton of YouTubes. I just love watching coaches um, discuss how and why they do things. And every summer I might pick one or two areas that we can get better at or I can get better at. Um, and so I just had more opportunities to do those things. Every athlete or coach typically has one person that they can really kind of point to and say, he's my mentor. She's my mentor. We had a conversation or, you know, they were a part of an experience that really helped shape or mold me. Is there one coach that stands out to you and what would that message have been that kind of propel you on the path to become uh, the coach that you are today? I have four. <laughs> if, if just in terms of how my, how this thing took place for me, you know, Ed Peppel, Blaine Taylor, Mike Montgomery, 
but my father has always been the backbone to this deal. And, and I've always pick up a phone, hey. But basketball-wise, program development, my preparation, my growth as a coach, Blaine Taylor. Um, he's the guy that I don't make very many tough decisions without having a conversation with him or a long text. Um, and I might not always go the same direction he would, but I always, I enjoy presenting it to him. And I, I think one of the best things with my, for my relationship with him is he doesn't necessarily see everything the same way I see it, but he understands how I see it. And so he has, he has a very good feel for his perspective and mine when we have that conversation. Give me a quick preview uh, of what people can expect from Montana this upcoming season in the Big Sky. Grant, it's a shortened season. Uh, teams can only get up to 27 games. Uh, there's a number of interesting multi-team events. Teams or leagues are finally pulling out their schedules. Uh, what do you expect and hope to see from, from your team this year? Uh, strong, precise execution on offense has always been our strength. Uh, we would expect that to be the same. Um, a little bigger than we've been in the past, so we should be better in the paint. Than, than we have been in terms of depth. Um, and then high energy on defense. That's always been our thing on the defensive end is just high energy in all situations. And if, if we can stick to that brand on both sides of the ball, we should have a really good basketball team that continues to compete for championships. But our conference is really good. Um, you know, I think there's a lot of underrated coaches in, in the big sky. Preparation from one game to the next takes a lot of time because our styles are so different. And we've got a lot of guys that are pretty good at making last-minute adjustments. Um, and, and so it's very competitive. And uh, our ability to prepare for, for each situation early in October and November before we get to January is always important. So if we can stay healthy these next couple of months, I think we'll have a shot at being pretty good. Well, I will say this. I think the Big Sky has gotten better over the last few years since I've had a chance to uh, be at the Big Sky title game and watch the conference tournament uh, for my work with Westwood One Radio uh, in the postseason. I hope that I get that assignment this year and I get a chance to, to watch Montana, and hopefully in that championship game, and I can be quietly as a broadcaster pulling for you because of our similar Northwest roots. But, Coach, I really appreciate your time on, on the podcast today for SB Live Sports. We thank you and we appreciate you. Thanks for having me. The ISO with Dan Dickow and SB Live Sports, brought to you by the Believe Podcast Network, the number one podcast network for professionals. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.